emotional suffering related to war can happen not only with direct exposure to life-threatening situations and violence, but also through indirect threats like injury to or death of relatives or caregivers, the economic devastation and worries, even just in the businesses and world around you, the geographic displacement that leads to homelessness and continual disruptions of daily life. Welcome to The Shrinks on Third, our psychology and social justice podcast. I'm psychologist Cindy Ariel. And I'm psychologist Julie Mayer. Come on in. Today we're going to talk about what happens after war. You know, you don't have to be a psychologist to understand that war has devastating physical and emotional consequences on people, on families, and entire groups of people. Yeah, all you have to do is watch the news lately, just to feel a little of the trauma yourself. True, Julie. But sometimes the focus after war is on rebuilding the cities and tending to the combatants of the war. And of course, that is critical. It is, but it's only part of the story. That's why we're gonna talk about the after effects of fighting and killing on the people who have had to do it. War veterans who have killed, or even who believe their combat actions caused the death of others, can feel horrible shame and guilt. Killing in combat is associated with increased PTSD, major depression, and suicide. Yeah, that's not surprising at all when you think about it. Right. Not all veterans have taken a life, obviously, though many still suffer with shame and guilt. All of the experiences can ultimately damage self-image, relationships, and uh, your relationship to spirituality. Yeah. For many veterans, the guilt, shame, anger, and isolation they suffer as a result of the kind of moral injury that comes with taking a life makes the psychological trauma from the rest of their war experiences even deeper. They carry the heavy weight and stigma of having taken a life and the emotional scars created by this experience can and usually do last a lifetime. It's hard to imagine, but killing someone for any reason would put someone in the position of being face to face with their dark side, not just the dark side of humanity, which it is, but specifically within your own self. It can make it hard to still see yourself as a good or just person. Their sense of identity is called into question. Yeah, it's a terrible dilemma. Veterans are uncomfortable talking about killing often, but it's the topic they're asked about most frequently by others. Even if they can handle the question, they're afraid that if they talk about killing, they'll be judged. And in addition, many feel anxious and angry when asked because They often feel that someone who didn't serve in war could not possibly understand what it was like to kill, to have to kill, to be in their position. A lot of veterans describe feeling guilt and shame about their experiences, or some feel numb after being exposed to so much killing and death in combat. The fact of killing and feeling a need to hide it can make someone feel very, very isolated. 
I remember a guy telling me he kept his thoughts from his wartime experience in its own place in his mind. And he just never went there and never shared it with anyone. Wow. A lot of veterans want to avoid any reminders of their combat experience and they turn to drugs or alcohol or isolate themselves from others. That's true. And it's a significant issue that plagues veterans when they try to live their normal lives again after being in combat. Though despite their deep wounds, and they are, a lot of veterans find talking with other veterans about their experiences a source of healing. Also volunteering to help others, other veterans, helps with the personal healing process. That's true. The VA, the Veterans Administration, trains veterans to help provide support services to one another, like by running peer support groups. They teach them how to run those groups. I'm sure it's easier for a veteran to open up to another veteran because they feel like they'll be less likely to be judgmental and more likely to understand what they're feeling. And then, in addition to the people who fight directly, war creates a huge trauma in a large population of civilians, even when they didn't fight. A lot of civilians get caught in war zones or are forced to participate in war-related activities when war comes knocking on your door with murder and rape. Rape is violence, and it's a well-known weapon of war. Yeah. Women, as you might guess, have an increased vulnerability to the psychological consequences of war because they're often targets of those things, while they have to focus on doing the best they can to protect their families. Early on in the devastation in Ukraine, just for example, we saw pictures of women giving birth in the middle of the chaos. I think I saw one in a train station. How can that not add to the unbelievable physical and psychological trauma that is war? It's hard to imagine, and it absolutely does. It impacts how these women function, trying to care for their newborns or even other children that they already had. It's overwhelming. The women, children, and families caught in the experience of war suffer greatly. Emotional suffering related to war can happen not only with direct exposure to life-threatening situations and violence, but also through indirect threats like injury to or death of relatives or caregivers, the economic devastation and worries, even just in the businesses and world around you, the geographic displacement that leads to homelessness and continual disruptions of daily life. So many people who are living their normal lives in Ukraine now have lost family members, their homes are flattened from bombing, their jobs have vanished. War affects every facet of life. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine how long that takes to be able to live normally again. If you can. Yeah. I I can never forget immediately after 9-11, whenever a plane flew overhead outside of my office, it was almost inevitable that the patient would stop talking and just look at me wide-eyed, often asking, like, what is that? It was just a plane. And this was in Philadelphia, where we didn't actually hear the destruction. We saw it on TV and were greatly affected. Yeah, I think that that day, 9-11, has affected people ongoing. I mean, people still have feelings, big feelings about it. Mm-hmm. How long is it until those hearing the constant barrage of ammunition, bombs flying, buildings falling, massive fires, how long until they're not petrified of loud noises? Fearing for your life, even indirectly, creates PTSD. And again, this can last for a lifetime. Exactly. 
war ends lives and shatters most of the ones it doesn't completely destroy. There's consistent evidence of higher rates of trauma-related psychological problems in children and adolescents. And the greater the exposure to the trauma, both physical and psychological, the worse the symptoms. War really badly affects people who fight and people who don't, both physically and emotionally. Death, injury, sexual violence, malnutrition, illness, and disability are some of the most threatening physical consequences of war. The effects of all of those things on people are basically post-traumatic stress disorder. Major depression and severe, often potentially paralyzing anxiety. The terror and horror spread by the violence of war disrupts lives, ends relationships, and breaks up families. And it can last through generations where trauma can get handed down from generation to generation. After the war, there's always the rebuilding, rebuilding hope, lives, and homes. It can take years to rebuild and to grieve all the loss. That's true, Cindy. But it's also true that the resilience of survivors can be absolutely remarkable. People find ways to move forward with hope for the future. That is amazing. Despite their vulnerability, women do have great resilience under stress. A lot of people do. And the role of, of women's resilience in sustaining their families is huge. I suppose the love for their families, as always, propels them. Yeah. Survivors of violent crime or, or natural disasters even are, are also in general resilient. They often become more engaged in their communities, more generous in helping others, more cooperative, more likely to become community leaders. Helping others and creating a more just and caring community helps people to heal and rebuild a life in which they can feel hopeful. I think it helps people to feel that they can do something to make a difference. Feeling helpless is the worst, most frightening feeling. Taking any kind of action can help people feel less helpless and more like they can repair damage, they can move forward, they can make a difference. Yeah, wars are likely to continue because, you know, people. Yeah. And therefore, so will the emotional harm and distress they cause. So promoting resilience can be one way to be proactive in at least mitigating some of the effects of war. The focus afterwards has to be on healing. There's no doubt that the costs of war are really terrible. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Once someone has been exposed to those horrors, they can't unsee them. But maybe it's sort of like nature after a forest fire where regrowth begins. Even after war, there's often post-traumatic growth for people. They're drawn together by a common enemy. National identities are solidified, even international ones. Determination to protect freedom, maybe, is strengthened. I still wouldn't have to go through a war to get there. No. This is all born from pain, anguish, and disaster. War, torn, populations, and those that fought directly need physical and psychological support to help in minimizing the potentially disastrous effects of war-related trauma. For some, religion and cultural practices help lead the way in coping with violent situations. True. Helping veterans work through their experiences demands a lot of sensitivity, empathy, and patience. Help with self-forgiveness is one of the most challenging aspects of the work, and helping veterans make amends, heal relationships, 
try to plan for their future and, and move forward can make an impact on their ability to forgive themselves. People who experience war and conflict situations will desperately need mental health care as part of the relief and rebuilding. And because of the often unrelenting pain people feel, they're more vulnerable to developing addiction to substances, as well as other addictions like gambling or pornography. Recognizing and treating addiction is also important. True. All of us, and not just as mental health professionals, have an opportunity and an obligation to try to better understand the experiences of people forced to endure war and to face their difficult truths with them about the violence of war and its consequences. For many of us who are fortunate enough not to have been in wars, fighting, or even just surviving, it's easier to not look, to not think about it because it's so frightening and upsetting. But we need to help these people who are either voluntarily sacrificing themselves or involuntarily having found themselves in the midst of war. It'll go a long way to allow veterans and the others who need to, to express themselves, to help them work through these conflicts. They can't look away. They can't unsee the unspeakable atrocities they've witnessed. So we can't let them down by not being able to listen with empathy and allowing them to speak about it without judgment. I agree. It's really important that we are there for those people who have sacrificed. As hard as that is. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us at shrinksonthird.com and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Shrinks on Third. Till next time. Take care.